Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Happy April Fool's Day, everybody. Happy birthday to my co-host Colin Haas Hill as we're recording here on March 31st. Listen, there's nothing there's nothing I'd rather do on my birthday than podcast because literally there's nothing else to do. Yeah, talking to the people, man. Talking to the Ohio State fans about uh, the latest goings on in Ohio State sports, and uh, like you said, probably not a lot of uh, bar hopping or or anything too crazy on tap for tonight with uh, the coronavirus restrictions that are in place. Yeah, I don't think I want my birthday gift to be that I get sick. No, that would not be a good birthday gift. That that's for sure. And uh, of course, uh, coronavirus still dominating the headlines, really kind of controlling everything that's happening in this country right now and really, you know, for the foreseeable future, probably for uh, probably for a few more months before, you know, things start to get back to normal, but we've been lucky so far. You know, I'll I'll be honest with you guys. I I I get a little terrified every week thinking what in the world are we going to talk about on Real Pod Wednesdays next week because there's no sports happening and we don't know when they're going to happen again. But We've been lucky so far the last few weeks that there's been enough news to kind of keep us going and, and give us quite a bit to talk about, and I think we have quite a bit on tap today. Yeah, we don't have to like make up any content, which is probably coming in a month or so when we just pull out all the stops, but Travion Henderson gave us gave us quite something to talk about today. Yeah, that's, that's where we'll start off this week's show, because that's probably the, the biggest news for those of you out there that are Ohio State football fans this week is... Travion Henderson, five-star running back from Hopewell, Virginia, the number two running back and the number 17 overall prospect in the class of 2021, announced his commitment to Ohio State on Friday. And we've talked a lot about recruiting here in the last few weeks, but with good reason, because Ohio State's just on a roll right now on the recruiting trail. Yeah, and if you had asked me, I mean, um, a, a year ago, what would have been Ohio State's biggest um, thing that area that they would have to, to fill? I would have said running back, and if you had asked me that two or three months ago, I would have still said running back, and like that was just something that we had been waiting and waiting and waiting on on them to 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 fill. And gosh, I mean, Tony Alford really couldn't have done any better than he's done in the past few weeks, getting Trey Sermon through the transfer portal to essentially be sort of a one year band aid. Um, and then in the 2021 class, all of a sudden, you've got Travion Henderson, who is their first five-star back since Beanie Wells, and Evan Pryor, another top 100 back. And you go to Virginia and North Carolina to get them. It's not like they were in the backyard. You had to fight off big-time programs to get them. And he secured their commitments by March. And after all of the stuff that has been talked about him, and, and a lot of it deserved because he, he, he had his misses the past couple of seasons, the cat the past couple of cycles. But what he's doing right now, I mean you can you, you can you can see pretty pretty clearly that he's he's got Ohio State's running back suddenly set up pretty well um, in twenty twenty and, and I think personally really well beyond. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that running back was Ohio State's biggest need for the recruiting cycle of 2021. And I also don't think there's any question that Tony Alford has hit an absolute home run by landing these two commitments with it, by the end of March. By the end of March. And I mean, they're in a position now where they might have to turn away Donovan Edwards, who at one point was believed to be their top target at running back. 
And yeah, that's a good position to be in when you uh, have recruited so well at a position that you might, you know, you you have a a high four star prospect who we know at least has some interest in Ohio State, and and you know we don't know how much. Maybe you know that's why they took the commitments from the other two because they thought they might not get him. But you are not settling one bit with the two guys that you have, the Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor. You know, these are absolutely two of the best running backs in the class of 2021, and, and both of them have superstar potential. And, you know, realistically, just in terms of recruiting stars, just in terms of uh, the competition they've had at running back, you'd have to say that, you know, these are their two biggest running back recruiting wins since J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, and, and I think I, I wrote this a while back, but it, it bears repeating now that. Ohio State has went out and landed the guys that they've done. But if you just look at both recent history in Ohio State and, and long-term history, like Ohio State should never, ever, ever settle at running back in recruiting. I mean, you just had J.K. Dobbins rush for 2,000 yards, set the single-season program record. So it's not as if anyone can say, well, they're a passing offense now, like someone might have said um, after the 2018 season. They're the, it, it's pretty clear that Ryan Day, if he has a great running back, will use a great running back. But, I mean, you look back through the years, I don't really need to name them all. Archie Griffin, Eddie George, Beanie Wells, like we said, Maurice Claret. There are so, so many great running backs that, are, that have come through Columbus. There's no reason for Ohio State to have, to have settled, um, and I and I think that like everybody knows, the past couple of years, they just haven't gone out and got the guys that that they really really need and really really want. And I think that ever since they landed J.K. Dobbins, like I've been sitting here thinking, all right, when's the next J.K. Dobbins going to come around? And who knows? Maybe Mayan Williams turns out to be a stud uh, out of nowhere. Maybe Steel Chambers in his second year all of a sudden has a breakthrough. Um, Maybe Marcus Crowley has something, and 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 obviously Master Teague is back. But like J.K. Dobbins was was on another level from those guys. And at Ohio State, like I think there are some positions like I, it's just hard for me to imagine them getting uh, the number one tight end in the country, even though Jeremy Ruckert's right about there. Um, but you don't really expect them to do that. When I think about running back, I expect them to get a, a guy like Trayvon Henderson every, every year or two. Like I I, I just at some point, I just come to expect that, and maybe that's an unfair standard to hold Ohio State to, but they just weren't living up to that, and, and I think that you've you've seen, especially last year, what J.K. Dobbins did, what Ohio State can do when they've got this elite back in the backfield, and I think they might have just, I mean, it, it just based on recruiting ranking alone and what maybe we've seen of them on film, I think Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor really give you that kind of potential. You mentioned a list of great running backs. You didn't even mention Ezekiel Elliott. You didn't even mention yeah, there's recent, like 25 more. <laughs> recent college football Hall of Fame inductee, uh, Keith Byers. So uh, a long list of Ohio State running backs. And, it, and it's important to mention Zeke because Zeke was coached by Tony Offord. J.K. Yep. Dobbins, of course, was coached by Tony Offord. And that right there, that is why your expectation is to go get an elite running back every year because y- you have two guys who have proven – in this offense that they can be absolute superstars. Zeke was the fourth pick in the draft. J.K. won't go quite that high, but I think at worst he's going to be a second-round pick, and he just broke the school record with 2,003 rushing yards, so uh, certainly extremely productive at Ohio State. So, yeah, the opportunities are there. You know, I think it helped them with these guys, too, that 
they they both seem to be very open to the idea of a two running back offense and, and rotating and, and that's why they were able to land, you know, both these guys in the same cycle. I think you know, you know, some guys might look at that and say, you know, I want to be the guy. I think they're both looking at it as uh, they're excited to play together. They 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 can see themselves, you know, three years from now, you know, being that dynamic duo in Ohio State's backfield. So you need you need guys like that. You need guys who want to compete. And you know, for whatever reason, a year ago at this time, they just couldn't. Tony Alford and Ohio State, they just couldn't make that connection with any of those running backs. They just they just couldn't get that guy. They came close on some guys, but they just couldn't quite get that guy to commit and be a part of their class. And, and this year, you know, clearly the sales pitch has worked with with these guys. It's worked with Trey Sermon, and now you know Ohio State once again looks like a very in a very strong position at running back. Certainly, still some questions for this upcoming year, even with Sermon coming in. But just what they're doing now to build for the future, you, know, you look ahead to 2021. You've got these two coming in with guys like Master Teague and, and Steel Chambers and Marcus Crowley who are all, you know, in the development process now, there's a ton of potential for that room going forward. Yeah, I think um, when I'm when I'm looking at when I'm looking at a position group and I wrote this a, a couple of days ago, like I'm first just starting off with Larry Johnson and what he does at the defensive line because I just think that when Ohio State every single Ohio State position group should idealized to be like Ohio State's defensive line because what he does so well is he brings in the top of the line recruits he develops he really doesn't miss on on guys when he's recruiting them when 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 he when he lands a guy you're pretty sure that that guy's really going to maximize his potential at Ohio State and when you're and when you're maximizing five stars and and high end four stars the production is going to be super high, and I've just always called it the Larry Johnson assembly line because to me that's just what he is. He just he brings on another top level recruit. He he, he develops them, develops them, develops them. All of a sudden, they're an All Big Ten or All American performer. They go off to the NFL, and and uh, and then that's your sales pitch. Is you can be the next guy, and it works. It works. It works. It works again, and and that's really when I think of how how. How Ohio State's position groups, other other than defensive line, match up to what he's doing, and I think that that's maybe what running back um, wasn't up until right now. But when I think about going forward, I sort of see that that kind that kind of potential's there. And, and obviously, Tony Alford, um, provided he stays at Ohio State, we know that he's looked uh, elsewhere to to become a head coach at times. But but that's sort of where I think running back is right now because you have guys in each class. You have guys like. Trey Sermon is who's a senior. You have Master Teague, who's a sophomore, um, or is he a redshirt sophomore? If I remember, yes, um, redshirt then, sophomore. Yeah, and then you have Marcus Crowley, who's a sophomore, um, and then Steel Chambers and Maya Williams, who are freshmen. Like that's a lot of talent that you just have year after year after year, um, and I, I, I sort of see like like this is this is what you want a position group to look like, um, and provided he stays recruiting at this level, I mean. Running back set up in a really, really nice position going forward. And there's obviously the question of, okay, you know, who 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 in this group's actually gonna play? Who's gonna get lost in the shuffle? Because you've got all these mm-hmm. young backs who haven't played yet. The reality is some of these guys aren't ever gonna play that much at Ohio State, but you always want to be overstocked rather than understocked, because we saw what happened, you know, this spring, start of this spring before Trey Sermon came in, 
when they were understocked, but all of a sudden you get into a position where now you have only one healthy scholarship running back. So you always you always want to be overstocked. There's always going to be guys that you know maybe get lost in the shuffle, maybe don't quite live up to their potential. But the more hits you have on the recruiting trail, the better you 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 fill up that room the higher your likelihood that one of those guys is going to be your next J.K. Dobbins, your next Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, and I think um, I think it, it'll be fascinating to see who, along with Trey Sermon, is sort of Ohio State's other running back because I, I think both of us agree that it's not going to be a 2019 J.K. Dobbins situation. There's going to be at least one other guy in there in the midst getting a good amount of carries. And I think of it in the same way that, I, that you thought of like the Joe Burrow, Dwayne Haskins thing where – you know, sure, what happened in, in, in spring practices when Dwayne Haskins eventually was, was named a starter, that matters a ton. But what also matters is in the fall before those spring practices, what happens. And if you're ahead of the guy on the depth chart and maybe you get an opportunity like Dwayne Haskins did against Michigan, maybe that can push you over the top. And to me, that's like if Steel Chambers is, is, the, is the second in line and maybe he's splitting carries a decent amount with Trey Sermon and he looks really good, Maybe he can stay ahead when when um, when the 2021 spring practices roll around. Trey Sermon isn't there, and all of a sudden, you've got to find your net starter, and and he's there. Crowley, Teague, um, Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor. That's a lot of guys, and like you said, a couple of them are going to get lost in the shuffle, and and I think um, we'll at least see this fall um, who who stands out and who's going to enter net spring with an edge. Yeah, I think it's a very good point because the reality is. Henderson and Pryor, they're like J.K. Dobbins when he came in as a freshman, where those are guys who are going to have a chance to compete for playing time right away. And it doesn't necessarily mean that'll happen, but they're going to get that opportunity. You know, a guy like Mayan Williams, who's coming in as a freestyle recruit in the summer, I think it's more of a long shot that he would actually be in the rotation this year. But a guy like Travion Henderson, a five-star recruit, you bring in a guy like that, you're expecting he's only going to be on your campus for three years. So a guy like that, you're going to give him that shot to play right away. And if, and if you're a veteran ahead of him, you're going to have to prove you belong on the field to stay ahead of him. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, I think the – so the other aspect of um, – this landing Travion Henderson to me is like, like how many times are we going to just sit here over the next few months and be like, good Lord, this recruiting class is, class is nuts. It is I'm, nuts. I keep on doing that. It is. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable class that they've put together right now. They already have three five-star recruits, Jack Sawyer, Travion Henderson, Kyle McCord. 10 of their 15 commits are top 100 prospects. And two of them, Ben Chrisman and Andre Turrentine, are both pretty close. So this class is loaded with talent. Right right now, it's on pace to have the highest average rating for a class that Ohio State has ever had. It has a 60-point lead over Clemson right now for the number one class in 2021. And, and there's still time for other teams to catch up there because Ohio State has a lot more commits than, than basically any other school at this point. So there's still time for schools to catch up. But to have 15 commits, and, and, and there's no reaches in there either. I mean, I mean, I think they're all, in at least the top 450, they're all talented kids. Ohio State hasn't gotten to 15 by taking you know, low, low-ranked low three-star prospects. They, they're getting quality kid after quality kid. And then you look at some of the guys they could still get. Guys like JT Tuomolowau, guys like JC Latham, and Derek Davis, and Tony Grimes, and Emeka Egbuka. And, and they're not going to get all of those guys. 
But if they can even get, you know, two or three of those guys, this class is going to be really something special. Yeah, when you're when when you're covering Ohio State and when you're a fan of or if, when you're a fan of Ohio State, you just you just have to look back to the 2017 class because that really is going to be the class that that all classes are measured by. Because um, sure, it said that they were the number two class in the country that year, but but uh, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who looks back and says that that's not the number one class. They had five five stars. They had a uh, if I count real quick, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They had eleven guys ranked in the top sixty-eight. That's absolutely insane. Um, and um, to me, if you want to compete with that class, and if you want to say, all right, that can the twenty twenty-one class be as good or or, or better than that class? Um, I'm looking to see if they can get two more five stars. And maybe two or three more top 100 players, which is nuts. And no team should ever have that be the expectation. But if we're going to talk about the best class ever, um, and and that class could could arguably be um, deemed the the best class ever in, in modern college football recruiting, then that's the bar that that they're going to have to um, ascend to. I, I will say I took a look real quickly while you were talking. Because I, I I was thinking okay they're their number two class if you look back they they probably really are of a clear number one then I looked at Alabama's 2017 class though that class was pretty impressive too I mean you look at some of the guys there uh, Jerry Judy Tua Tagovailoa Jedrick Wills Xavier McKinney Henry Ruggs that's just five potential first round picks I just named right there so uh, so that so you're saying that was good as well. Yeah, it would be a it would be a fun uh, it would actually be a fun breakdown to kind of compare those two classes at it this would. point. And and I think um, maybe a maybe an app comparison um, in in the twenty twenty one cycle would be maybe twenty twenty one Clemson is twenty seventeen Alabama essentially, and maybe that's uh, some way to look at it. And that these are two teams that are right at the top of college football recruiting both for uh, recruiting titles and national titles because as we all know. If you're if, if you're gonna win if you're gonna win a national title you're gonna need the the top level talent and right now both those two schools are are, are absolutely are absolutely doing so yeah and as we've talked about before that's who you're competing against on the recruiting trail right now it's Clemson is by far their number one competition right now just in terms of recruiting the same guys and competing for a lot of the same top targets that's your competition that's who you're who you're trying to beat on the recruiting trail so uh, it's gonna be a good battle. Like like I said, I I think I think that gap between the two in terms of their you know points and their composite scores is probably gonna close over time because because Clemson's gonna eventually you know get closer in terms of a overall number of commits. Uh, but I think that's gonna be a fascinating battle to watch down the stretch. And if if you just look at the not just even their totals but their their average. Just right now, Ohio State and Clemson are are way ahead of the pack in terms of what they're doing. It compared to everybody else for 2021. Yeah, it makes sense. One one other note that I that I think is is maybe important to to at least reference when we're going to talk about this class is that like especially right now, um, I think in, in year two of Ryan Day, this matters, and the fact that no one can visit anywhere right now is Ohio is good at a really good time for Ohio State because I just think um, me personally that. It's 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 harder. Um, it's it's generally harder 
for um, players to for, for programs to recruit out of state right now, especially if you're going to go and recruit in a state like Ohio where there's a where there's a power program. And I think that generally gives Ohio State a little bit of an edge. Now, the caveat there is that they did a lot of their work early. And I think that Ryan Day and, and his coaching staff should be commended for that. It's not like all of a sudden this is happening, no one's visiting, and then Ohio State's getting the commitments. They already, before this happened and before the, the visit ban on recruiting happened, they already had the top five guys in Ohio locked up. And, and I think that's that is... They deserve a ton of credit for that because one, you're not get, you're not going to go out of your way to say, "Wow, they they did this amazing thing." But like, this is what you have to do as an Ohio State's head coach to be successful. You have to lock down Ohio. You have to get the best players in Ohio, and you know, typically, good things happen afterward. And that is exactly what they've done. And this is a good year for for that to happen. Yeah, and I think, I, I think really we're we're seeing the positive of the strategy that Ryan Day is taking. But I think I think Ryan Day has put more of an emphasis than Urban Meyer did on locking down the state of Ohio and really getting those top guys from the state of Ohio. And I think we're really seeing that pay off right now in terms of what they're doing for 2021. And and, and like you said, it, it, it's a good year for Ohio talent. It's, it's a better year for Ohio talent than there might have been in some recent classes. But I think going out and really locking down those guys and getting all those guys to commit early and, and be unwavering in their desire to be Buckeyes, that's huge. That's, that's, that's important. You need that. When you're Ohio State, when you've got you know five of the top 107 prospects in the class from the state of Ohio, you want to land all five of those guys. And, and the fact that they've done that and done that early is a very promising sign. Yeah, I think the one thing I would say is is I'm not sure if I would necessarily term it as, as Ryan Day putting a, a greater focus on, on recruiting Ohio and successfully doing so. I think um, no one's ever going to look at Jack Sawyer and, and not offer him early. No one's going to look sure. at Carrico and, and, Jay, and Jaden Ballard and, and not offer them early. I think that maybe the thing that, that he has done that, that Urban might not have done is is some of the lower-ranked guys, like a Jalen Johnson or Devontae Smith, who are, who are in the class and who are top 15 guys in Ohio. Um, Jalen Johnson's a four-star safety linebacker, and Devontae Smith's a, a high three-star cornerback. And I think those are the guys maybe where if you look at um, – I imagine the strategy for Ryan Day is is you take some of these guys who you think are going to blow up later in the process, and Devontae Smith got as got offers as big as Alabama, and he's a three-star Ohio kid. If you think about what's going to happen down the line, is is Ryan Day wants to get in on these guys early, and you saw that last year. Generally, more with with offensive linemen. Like we had, a, I know there was a lot of discussion about taking Trey Larue and, and Jacob James early, and now you see them doing that a little bit with with Jalen Johnson, and Devontae Smith, and and I think that's maybe where the difference is um, from Urban. If we want to talk about like. Does he does 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 Ryan Day um, prioritize Ohio more than Urban did? I think it'll be interesting, maybe in the next couple cycles, whether that's the case. Because at least right now, and it is still really early, I just don't think you're going to see in the 2022 class quite as many high end guys as as there are in 21. And I'm I'm interested to see how early. Um, Ryan Day and his staff go after them, and, and right now I think two of them, Gabe Powers and Tigra Tishbola. No chance I pronounced that correctly. I think it's Tegra. It's, Tegra Shibola. Well, then I just butchered both first and last names, so that's not good. But um, but I think that I, I'm interested to see how, how heavy he goes after them, uh, especially early in the process. 
Yeah, no, I I think that's that's definitely a good point. Like I said, I think I think this is a better than usual class for Ohio. So I think that is important to remember. But I I agree. I think what you said about you know getting some of those lower ranked guys, I think I think that does pay dividends just in terms of at least for perception that you, that you are you know, really taking Ohio recruiting seriously, but you want guys from in-state. And a lot of these guys know each other, and I, I think that helps build bonds. And, and even and even Amaya Williams, you know, we, we, we were, we, we've were we criticized Tony Alford for his recruiting in that class, and I think fairly so because certainly Maya Williams was not one of their top targets. They didn't circle back to him until November, I think it was. But I, I think there was a strategic decision made there in terms of, when they got to the point of, okay, we're not going to get any of our top targets, let's go get the best guy we can in Ohio and get that Ohio kid rather than... I think there were maybe a few guys who were a little more highly ranked when they circled back to Mayan Williams that they may have still had a shot at, but they they made a strategic decision to say, well, we're not going to get Bijan Robinson, we're not going to get a Jalen Knighton, so let's go get an Ohio kid, somebody who we know you know wants to be here and, and who can continue to strengthen our ties with him the state. Yeah, the interesting thing, it, it, he's a little bit different than what I'm thinking about um, the strategy with, with Devontae Smith and um, Jalen Jalen Johnson is because when I think about them, I, I, I almost think you're you're investing early and you think, all right, if we if we take them right now, it's worth it because we'd probably want them later and later maybe Alabama or uh, Wisconsin really has a great relationship with one of them. Just some other school gets in there and all of a sudden it's harder. It's worth right now just pulling the trigger and taking them and then moving on and then take an aim at the bigger targets. And I think maybe that's what they're doing too is, you know, right now they have 15 commitments. It's the end of March, beginning of April, and they don't have to go out and recruit three stars right now. They can go chase some stars. And I think that's what Ohio State should do. And they're after some really big ones, as, as you named earlier. And I think this is where the, it, it Generally, if if they could take visits, they would love to be uh, they they would love to be hosting some guys right now. It's just hard to know how that'll play out, but I think that that's sort of what they want to do right now. Yeah, I think that's a good point because they already have among those fifteen commits, they've already got at least one guy at every single major position group. So they're not in a position now where they have to chase guys to fill needs. They're in a position to just go get the best players that are still out there and that's not to say there aren't priority positions you know I think defensive line is one where they're definitely looking to add multiple more guys same with offensive line uh there's there's certainly positions where you know they have bigger needs than others and again a position like running back you're probably not going to take another one now because you've already got two guys but you're not constrained to okay we've we've got to take this guy because if we don't get this guy we could be in a bad spot at this position you can go shoot for the stars right now and and hope that you get some of these five star high four star guys that i named earlier speaking of shooting for the stars tony alford um it is i mean he shot for the stars the last three years and he finally he finally landed in them um i just think i want to take a look back and, and sort of look at where each of Ohio State's assistant coaches are um, in terms of where they are as recruiters because I think that right now like Ohio State's assistants are, are, are sort of killing it on on the trail and and and, and I think it's it's deserving of us to to go through and, and sort of look at where they are well if you look at 24/7 sports's national recruiter rankings right now which 
are essentially based on the rating of commits that you land and you know if you're a primary recruiter for a guy you get more points than if you're a secondary recruiter for a guy but if you look at those rankings right now tony alford is rated number one so uh, that's a pretty big statement for a guy who a few months ago people were questioning his recruiting ability and then brian hartline is number two kerry combs is number four al washington is number five larry johnson is number eight so when you when when half of your staff is ranked in the top 10 recruiters in the country right now, that's a pretty damn good place to be. Yeah, uh, just generally up and down the staff, that they're in a really solid place. So the way that I would sort of put it is if I were just categorizing them right now, like I think there are three guys on the staff right now who are sort of like the recruiting aces. And to me, that's Brian Hartline, that's Kerry Combs, and, and that's Larry Johnson. And I know Larry Johnson, he's, he's got some ground to make up in, in, on the defensive line recruiting, but he's also a guy who is, as we've seen year after year, he's, he's succeeded late, late in cycles, and I don't think that there's reason to, to question where they're at right now. Um, and Brian Hartline's recruiting at just an unbelievable level, and, and we obviously we, we've seen what Kerry Combs can do. I just think those three guys are just locks when it comes to recruiting. Um, there are two guys who I think I would just call like sort of like they're just burgeoning recruiting aces. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't give them that title right now. I wouldn't put them up there with with um, Hartline Combs and 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 uh, and Larry Johnson. But when I look at what Al Washington and Greg Greg Sidrawa are doing, like are you, are you as impressed as, as, as I am and and sort of what they're what they've been able to accomplish? I think it's I think Al Washington. Um, he came in and. You know, it's interesting what you can do in your first year as an assistant coach versus what you can do in your second year is, is oftentimes different because in the first year you just don't quite have as strong relationships as, as some guys um, that you'd want to go after. But you, you've you've both seen Al Washington um, get really solid players, especially in, in the in the twenty one class. He was at linebacker. All they have right now is Reed Carico, but you've also seen him. Um, been mentioned as, as someone who is who has helped in certain recruitments. Travion Henderson being the latest guy, and when I think of Greg Sidrawa, I think of a guy who a couple years ago um, people weren't really sure about him as a recruiter. And right now, I think I would make the argument that that Ohio State's offensive line is really as uh, in as good as a, as a, as a place as it could possibly be with three returning starters and including a first-team All-American, and then you've got guys down the line who I just think in future years are, are sort of set up to be veteran starters, and, and they're in a really healthy place. And I think Sadrawa's recruitment, re- recruiting over the last two, three years, is, 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 has been a large part of that. Um, are, are you in agreement with those five sort of, sort of standing out from the rest? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I mean, Brian Hartline, you, you, you legitimately could not ask for more than what he's done on the recruiting trail yeah. since he arrived at Ohio State. So uh, his recruiting has been absolutely phenomenal since he became the wide receivers coach. Kerry Combs, no question, seeing what he's done and how fast he's done it since coming back to Ohio State, landing a trio of defensive back commitments. Uh, we knew he was a great recruiter. That's a big reason why they paid him $1.4 million to come back. Uh, n- no doubt that he's an elite recruiter. And, then, and yeah, I mean, Larry Johnson, you just look at the track record. I, I think my feeling would be, I, I think, you know, maybe I look at, you know, this past year 
and I, and I say maybe that was a little bit of a down year for Larry Johnson. I agree with that. Because the defensive tackle depth in particular, I, I think that's one area of it he really needs to hit here. I think I think, and he still Mike Hall is a good addition. I, I think he needs to hit on a couple more here in the next eight months because the defensive tackle depth. If they don't land a few guys this his class, they could be in a bit of a problem there. So uh, now, I mentioned. I keep struggling for the name. JT Tuamoloau, I believe it is. We're going to uh, go with JT. Before, he's the number two overall prospect in the country. If if he lands a commitment from him and Jack Sawyer in the same class, then there's no question about it <laughs> that Larry Johnson has hit a home run in recruiting this year because uh, if you land both of those guys, and the fact that they are right now an apparent frontrunner for the number two overall prospect in the country when he comes from Washington State, just like with G. Scott last year, that tells you how good a recruiter Larry Johnson is, the kind of reputation he has that spans across the nation as somebody that people want to come play for. So no doubt uh, his, his track record speaks for itself. Uh, there's, there's no question about that. I think Greg Stadrawa, I think I put him kind of in the same category as Tony Alford as a guy who I think he had a couple down years. I think, you know, if you look back a couple years ago, he was the guy people were questioning of, can he recruit at an elite level uh, or do we need to make a change here if this doesn't change soon? And he has responded as well as anyone could have expected with the guys he's landed. Uh, I think, you know, certainly this past year, landing Paris Johnson and Luke Whipler and some of the uh, local guys that he landed, I think did a great job. And then I think certainly in this class with Donovan Jackson and Ben Chrisman, he's off to a great start. So I think he's done an excellent job really rebuilding his reputation as a recruiter, much like Tony Alford is doing right now. I think for Al Washington, I, I think for me, I'd say the jury is maybe still out a little bit there because like you mentioned, he has only landed one linebacker in this recruiting class. There doesn't really seem to be any other linebackers that are, are heavy Ohio State leans right now. So I think I still I still want to see a little more before I make a judgment on that. I, I do think there's no question about it that he's a guy who does a great job of building relationships. I think even just from talking his his current players, you could see that. And I think he is somebody who really does a good job of connecting with young players. And I think absolutely a guy like Travion Henderson, he was a big asset in that recruitment. So I don't have any doubts per se that Al Washington is and can be an elite recruiter. But I think compared to those other guys, I just don't have the track record yet where I can say that for sure. I think that's fair. The one thing I would say that I'm waiting for uh, waiting for on him personally is can he get an out-of-state five-star linebacker to come to Ohio right. State? Um, I, I do think that that's fair because, sure, he's in his second year. It's probably tough to expect a guy in his second year to come into Ohio State as position coach and in year one or even year two to, to go out and do that. But I do think you're right that that is, that is maybe the one thing that, that I'm, I'm interested in. I think 20, if we're going to go down the line and listen, we don't know when football's coming back. I'm just going to say it. We're going to talk. I'm going to. I'm going to reference 2022 recruiting for a second. But if I'm thinking that far out for Al Washington, like that's a, that's a class that is going to be fairly heavy on linebackers because Ohio State is so deep right now with upperclassmen at linebackers. It's going to be up to him to hit some home runs um, on the recruiting trail here pretty soon. And I am interested um, to see whether he comes through. I'm. 
maybe I, I, I'm a little bit more blindly confident than him. I think that you're, you are correct. His track record definitely right now isn't quite where the other guys are. But, but from what I've seen of him, and like you said, talking to people who, who know him, he's he's just he just seems like he has the kind of personality and and he's the kind of guy who can who can succeed like that but i do think it's fair like you said to sort of wait a little bit before you you, you give him that designation yeah i i i just i totally agree that's exactly where my head is at too but you know you got to land that that baron browning type recruit you you got you got to land that that five star that you know just like with Heartline landing a, a Julian Fleming. You you got to yeah, go land, land Henderson. You yeah you got to go land that kind of guy before you before you can really move into that elite recruiting level. And 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 Al as a position coach as a lead recruiter he hasn't done that yet. So I think you know that's the next step here over this next year that you want to see from him. I think that's very fair. So the other four assistants, um, I think Kevin Wilson is the definition of just solid on the recruiting trail, like. Jeremy Record um, was is in his room. That that was a, that's a big deal. They have him, but I think generally when you see him um, and the guys who who he's recruiting in, in the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one class, like he's not going out and landing a, a top twenty five overall player. He's not going to go out. He's not going out landing even a top one hundred overall player. But it's tight end. It's not a it's not a giant deal. I think that that's a position, especially um, at Ohio State, where where veterans thrive. Um, and I think that that's where you can maybe get away with uh, having having lower rated guys there. Um, and I, I think he's fine. And I don't think there are any real issues there. But I also don't think he's not a Brian Hartline. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is with the offense Ohio State runs, to expect him to be landing top five tight ends every year is probably unrealistic. So uh, I think he's done a good job for, for the role that he has. And, you know, and I think he he helps with offensive line recruiting and some other positions as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I think he, I, I agree. I think he's been fine. I don't think you're going to rave about his, his being a phenomenal recruiter based on his track record. But I also don't think you look at that as a problem area. The three other guys, I'll just lump them together because to me, like there's just still a little bit unknowns to me. And that's Greg Madison, Matt Barnes and Corey Dennis, um, Greg Madison, and Matt Barnes are back for their second year. Um, I just haven't heard a ton about like wow Matt Barnes really went out and landed this guy Greg Madison really went out and 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 was really important here I think I think maybe we heard a little bit about Matt Barnes with, with Andre Turrentine um, but I don't think either of those guys have been lead recruiters on on big time gets for Ohio State and Corey Dennis to me I mean it's hard to evaluate Corey Dennis as a recruiter because I'm not sure Corey Dennis has ever landed anyone in his life as a, as a, as a, as a lead recruiter. So the jury is most definitely still out on him. Yeah. I, I, I think with Madison and Barnes, it's hard to pinpoint them as recruiters simply because of the fact that they're not a lead position coach for a group. Yes. So it, it just makes it more difficult to evaluate them as recruiters because, you know, there are guys that they're, you know, leading the way on, but I mean, Madison, the only group that he's the primary position coach for are the Sam linebackers and Matt Barnes, the only group he's the primary position coach for are specialists. So it, it just makes it harder to pinpoint uh, exactly what they're doing on the recruiting trail. I think there's also, it, it, you know, a lot of times, you know, some part of it's about building relationships, but part of this is about, okay, who's the coach I'm going to go play for? And especially in a Matt Barnes situation, 
it's nothing against Matt Barnes at all, but guys are coming to Ohio State to play for Kerry Combs if they're defensive backs. So that yeah, just well, that just kind of limits what exactly you know you you can take away from a Matt Barnes. And I and I, and truthfully, I think the same is going to be true for Corey Dennis because quarterbacks are coming to Ohio State to play for Ryan Day. So. I, I think that's always going to be the caveat there with him. Like you said, at this point, he's totally unproven. Kyle McCord was already committed before he came in. Again, I think Kyle McCord, I don't think Kyle, if you if, if you look at the recruiter rankings, Mike Yersich is actually ranked 10th because of Kyle McCord. But the reality is Kyle McCord committed to Ohio State to play for Ryan Day. And I think that's going to continue to be the case for quarterbacks as long as Ryan Day is the head coach. But... Certainly, the 2022-2023 classes here over the next couple of years, those are going to be big tests for Corey Dennis to ensure that he can land the type of quarterbacks. And again, because of Ryan Day, because of what Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields have done the past couple of years, the expectation now at Ohio State is you should be landing the elite of the elite quarterbacks. And that Corey Dennis has to prove that he has the cachet as a position coach to be able to make that happen. Yeah, I, I will say... I mean, it might be till 2026 before Corey Dennis lands a prospect, and it's because of Corey Dennis number as, as the lead recruiter. Like, I just I can't envision a scenario in which a quarterback is coming to Ohio State and his first words are because because Corey Dennis is the quarterback's coach. It's because Ryan Day is the head coach uh, right now, and I think that that's where Corey Dennis maybe could possibly be useful in, in recruiting other positions as well um, because you have Ryan Day there to help with quarterbacks. Um, but I do think that, that those three, your point about them not having a not having a position group, or in Dennis's case, also having Ryan Day there is is well taken. It I do think it's going to be a little bit difficult to recruit the, or to to sort of evaluate their recruiting. I mean, I remember when I went up to Muskegon to talk to Cam Martinez, like he could have signed knowing that Matt Barnes was there, but like he wasn't going to sign because Matt Barnes was there. He's going to sign because Kerry Combs was coming in. Yeah, and, and I I think to tie this all together. Uh, of course, it's also important to you know acknowledge the fact that they don't rank the head coaches in the in the uh, recruiter rankings on twenty four seven sports. But a big reason for all of this is Ryan Day and and the job that he's doing. Much like when Urban Meyer was the coach and when Jim Trussell was the coach, they were uh, an enormous reason why why the recruiting success was happening. Certainly, Ryan Day is a is a massive reason why Ohio State is having the kind of success it's having right now both in the assistant coaching staff that he's built together and just his own ability to build relationships with recruits and you know I think really creating a a culture and an atmosphere that is very inviting to top prospects and that more and more guys seemingly you know by the week uh, just seem to be really excited about the prospect of playing for so when I when when I'm sort of looking forward um, and, and seeing where each of these guys are um, as recruiters, I just think like I, I'm I'm not thinking right now that there's anyone in the Tony Alford camp um, of last year, or the Greg Sadrawa camp of a few years ago, where sort of a lot everyone's wondering can they get it done on the recruiting trail? Can they? And um, I, that won't last forever. Someone will have their misses. Is there anyone you have your eye on right now that, you know, 
it's important for them to to either hit on the 2020 cycle or or not 2020 the 2021 cycle or, or who might need a 20 a big 2021 cycle because um i i dan i'm losing my mind uh, a big 2022 cycle because um either they don't have a lot of commitments in the 2021 cycle or because maybe um they're just not quite as successful now the the caveat there is that they've been pretty good all across the board so it's we're, we're gonna have to nitpick yeah right now there really isn't and 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 part of that is the fact that you know more than more than half of his staff has only been at ohio state they're in their second year at most so you know guys you know the only guys you really look at there they've got you know a really lengthy track record are alfords to draw Johnson and and Wilson and certainly we mentioned you know Alfred and Strava they both went through these uh, periods of you know a down year in recruiting and and they've bounced back. I mean Larry Johnson it would take an awful lot for to ever get to that point with Larry Johnson because his track record is so incredibly strong but it's just hard to imagine um, you know him having you know a down year where he just doesn't you know as I said I, I think last year was actually a down year for Larry Johnson but but that's all relative it wasn't uh, a bad year for Larry Johnson by any means it just wasn't quite there 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 wasn't a Chase Young or a Nick Bosa in that class in my opinion and that is the standard that we are going to hold Larry Johnson to certainly with a Jack Sawyer potentially uh, JT Tuomolowau you know he he seems to be you know on that track I and mean, then Kevin Wilson like I said I, I think. Uh, the ceiling is limited there just because of uh, the position he coaches. But I think as long as you know he's landing quality tight ends every year, and it looks like they might have some momentum right now for Hudson Wolf, who's one of the top tight ends in the class. So I think if he could land him, you know that would be a big uh, feather in his cap, and and there'd really be nothing to, to criticize there either. And thankfully, Ohio State fans would love to know that Hunter Hunter Wolf, from what I understand, is a really solid blocker. Because yes. as we know, <laughs> that is the main thing at Ohio State for, for tight ends. That is extremely important. We can probably move off of recruiting now since we've talked about that for the uh, entire episode so far. <laughs> and, and wanted to talk a little bit just about kind of what we heard from Ryan Day last week. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's so weird because... I mean, I'll be honest, this was a week ago, and just the reality that we're in right now, it feels like it was a month ago that we yeah. talked to Ryan Day, uh, because uh, the weeks just feel a little longer right now of everything that's going on. Uh, but, you know, there were there were a few things that, you know, I thought were worth touching on. Didn't, didn't say anything groundbreaking, not that we necessarily expected him to, but, you know, he, he did say that, you know, it, it's his hope that Ohio State is going to be able to make up for lost spring practices at some point with OTAs in the summer. Uh, whether that's a realistic possibility, uh, I, I just don't know right now. Um, I think you can certainly hope for it. I, I think that if if things clear up enough by June or July that team activities can resume, I, I do think the NCAA should allow teams, especially those that lost spring practices like Ohio State, to be able to to hold some additional practices to make up for lost time, but the truth is, right now we just we just don't know uh, when it's going to be realistic for teams to resume activities again. Yeah, I think generally it's it's hard to imagine a college football season being played where there isn't at least a little bit of of that you know OTA like 
um, workouts b- before uh, preseason camp. But, I mean, it's literally impossible to predict. I, I just think there are millions and millions of possibilities. You hear things get tossed out every day or two. Well, honestly, every hour or two. And you it, it, and to me personally, I just think it's sort of hard to parse through like, okay, what's actually a reality? What's like a real a realistic possibility? And you know what's what's not? I just think that that's that's pre- that's pretty hard to do right now. Yeah, the truth is nobody knows, and yeah, there are you know contingency plans that I'm sure are starting to be discussed, and they need to be discussed. There there needs to be conversations happening right now among college athletics leaders about you know potential scenarios because you know I mean there are there are I mean certainly I I think. If we were to say right now that we were 100% confident that college football season is going to start on time without a hitch, uh, I think we'd have our heads in the sand. I think uh, certainly, you know, there there are scenarios that exist right now where college football season does not uh, happen as normal as scheduled. That said, we really don't know right now, so... I think right now we have to proceed forward with the assumption that there will be a football season, that you know there will be you know at least preseason camp. You know, I I I, I would say I, I I know there's some you know chatter out there about you know oh well you know when is the date that this has to start for there to actually be a normal football season. I, I will say this: there's a lot of money on the line here, so uh, I I think coaches and teams. Uh, if it's possible to start the season the first weekend of September, I think coaches and teams are probably going to be expected to adapt. Um, I think ideally, you know, you'd like to be able to, you know, get some team workouts in in June and July and, and then go into preseason camp. But uh, I, I, I do think that rescheduling the season is going to be a last resort where even if that means not going into the season with the amount of workouts that you should have, and you know, even if that increases the possibility of injuries, once you get into even delaying the season, there are a ton of logistical challenges that come up. So I, I, I think they're going to certainly try to do whatever they can to start the season on time. I, I think the stuff that happens before that is ultimately just going to depend on you know, when it's safe for teams to be able to resume activities again. Yeah, it would be an astronomical financial hit if they had neither the NCAA tournament nor a college football season. I mean, that would be absolutely insane from from so many perspectives um, involved in this. Um, It's impossible to know right now. I mean, you can throw out so many different ideas, but until we, until scientists not who, who aren't covering Ohio State, um, can can have an idea of, of when this might end or, or when there might be an idea of when people can have large gatherings um, then I then we can have the conversation but until then it's just it's impossible to know I mean you can throw out ideas of like well, okay well what if they played with no one in the stands but it's like all right if they're playing with no one in the stands it probably means that people aren't going to class and there's no in-person classes and how could you possibly expect people to be all at school and but not at school with with all of their um with their classmates they're just at school to play football like that seems like a crazy ask so like there are just so many things that go into this it's march 31st right now i think it'd be ludicrous if we said anything with any degree of confidence there's just so much on the table and also though 
there's a ton of money on the table, and and that obviously weighs weighs heavily in in, in this for for a lot of people. Yeah, so many variables would have to be considered. I mean, cer- certainly the number one variable that does have to be considered here is everybody's health and 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 trying to do whatever possibly can uh, to keep everybody healthy. Uh, but but I also think there's you know there's a middle ground. There's a middle ground here between saying uh, let's just let's just do everything and let this disease run its course and kill a lot of people, or, or saying we're literally going to live in quarantine and do nothing until uh, every case of coronavirus has been eradicated. So I think the reality is going to be somewhere in the middle. But for me to pinpoint where that's going to be. Uh, I I can't do that. I, I I do not have that level of, of expertise about pandemics and about the economy and about all these things that go on to make any kind of real confident prediction. So for right now, we're going to proceed forward with uh, the assumption or at least the hope that football season is going to start as scheduled in September. And, and Ryan Day is doing the same because you know, he is also not a pandemic expert. He is a football coach. So so he is going to continue to proceed with the idea that there will be a season in the fall and that they are going to have to adapt however things might play out over the next few months. And, you know, he's going to expect the same of his staff and players. And uh, based on what Ryan Day said last week, uh, he's still having multiple conference calls per week with his staff. He's sending out regular messages to his players. Uh, the position coaches take on the brunt of the responsibility in terms of uh, daily communication with the players because you know obviously Ryan Day cannot have uh, 120 individual meetings with players, so a lot of that is taking place with position coaches. But there's limits on what they can do as well. There, they can you know certainly uh, you know talk to their players. They can you know review film with them. You know they can they can certainly instruct players. To do workouts and have them report back, but uh, they can't actually supervise workouts. They can't. They 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 can't. They can't actually force guys to work out. They can they can expect it, but you know they they can't track what guys are doing necessarily on their own. So uh, a lot of it comes down to the honor system. A lot of it comes down to being uh, accountable. Ryan Day made it very clear that you know he expects his guys to do what they're told to do he 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 used the quote that if 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 they're not doing what they're supposed to do then we have an awful team which was honestly the most urban meyer-esque thing i've ever heard ryan day say i when i when he said the word awful i just immediately thought like oh my god that was urban's favorite word and i loved when urban would say it because coaches don't usually say that anything is awful coaches or coaches love to um they don't like to. They don't like to talk about things in those terms. And for him to say that, it was like, "Wow, who's Ohio State's head coach again?" It was a little bit of a throwback for me. Yeah, that was definitely uh, intended to send a message, I think, to his players of you know you guys need to be doing what we're expecting you to do, and and you certainly uh, do not want to be telling us that you're doing something you're not doing, and have us find out that you weren't doing it. So uh, certainly the expectation here is you know guys are doing what they can and and that's the other variable in this is that not everybody is going to have the capability to do the same things when they don't have the access to team facilities they don't they don't have the access to gyms because gyms are closed down across the country so guys can't necessarily you know do the same level of weight training they would do if they were at the woody hayes athletic center they can't necessarily do football drills because if you're staying at home in 
you know, there might be, you know, some guys who, you know, have huge homes with weight rooms or who have, you know, lots of outdoor space to do drills. You know, there might be other guys who live in, you know, inner city apartments where they just don't have a lot of lot of space or a lot of resources to to do workouts. So guys have to adapt to their environments. But, you know, the expectation is that guys are going to do what they can while, of course, also doing what they need to do to stay healthy, which is certainly paramount in this situation. Yeah, it's helpful. Um, I just think, like, one note, it's helpful that they have Justin Fields and he's a second-year starter. I do think that generally if this was a first-year starter and maybe not like a, a... someone who you have literally no concerns about whether their guy's going to do the right thing or not at quarterback. Like maybe that can bleed into other guys, but you have Justin Fields back. You have, I, I, I do think that they have pretty solid veteran leadership returning on this team. I mean, I'm thinking of guys like Tuff Boyland, of Jonathan Cooper, of uh, Sean Wade, uh, uh, Josh Myers, uh, Chris Olave, guys who do the right thing and don't need to be told twice. And I think when you have guys like that across the across the team at different position groups, I just think generally that, that bodes well. Absolutely. And, and Ryan Day talks about it constantly. You could tell the one thing that he is so glad that he had last year was fit in the first 10 games of a season, Ohio State blew out every one of its opponents and their backups were able to play every game because that puts them in so much better position for something like this where you know guys might not get as many practices in the offseason but they did get to play more last year you know a lot of these guys even though they were backups you know they got to play 200 snaps last year so so that's a big help in terms of there's not a lot of guys that they're counting on that they you know guys that just haven't played i mean they were in that position of justin fields last year but you know, most of the guys, even if they're new starters, they've at least played enough that the Buckeyes, the coaches, they feel like they have a pretty good idea of what guys can do. You know, the guys who really, I think, are hurt the most by this are, you know, the early enrollees and the freshmen, the guys who are are young guys who have never been through a spring practice before. And, you know, certainly the, the backup QBs, uh, Jack Miller and CJ Stroud, I think certainly, you know, those are two guys who you know take a hit from this because they really need every practice they can get in in their development to be ready to play this season and you know for one of them to be ready to start next season and then uh, he also Ryan Day also mentioned on multiple occasions last week the the young receivers that he thinks you know that's the most experienced inexperienced position group on the team and you know maybe it's a little bigger concern than we're talking about because I think. I think everybody just has so much confidence in these receivers and with good reason because of the talent they have. But, you know, we're not talking about Chris Olave here. We're not talking about Garrett Wilson here. But other than those two, there's a lot of unproven guys at receivers. And I think, you know, the expectation is that at least a couple of those early enrollees are going to play this year and have a chance to be in the rotation. But, you know, this this could potentially affect that. This This could potentially affect you know, some of those young guys really being ready to play this year, especially if, you know, they don't they don't get to recoup practices in the summer. And so I think that becomes a little bit more of a concern where as talented as they are at that receiver spot, if, if, with only two guys who have really played much, if you don't have as many off-season practices as you normally would, you know, maybe that group isn't quite where it should be in September. You know, the more I look about it, the the more I, I sort of am in, in, in agreement. I just think that 
I think that's a really good point by you because um, you have no problems with Chris Olave. I just think you have to start there. Chris Olave yeah. does everything you want. He's, he's, he's sort of the perfect guy for them um, to have right now. But beyond them, I even think of a guy like Garrett Wilson, who's supposed to be a sophomore breakout candidate. Well, he's a guy who I think that we had heard multiple times in press conferences in public, which is generally not usually something that that happens a ton. Coaches talking about his effort and, and how that needs to get better. And I think that that go, him going through the spring would have been a would have been another step in, in the development in, in that particular area. And he doesn't have that. Um, was Jameson Williams an early enrollee? I should have looked. He was this not. Up. So, not. yeah, so he's a guy who's going through – this would have been his first spring practice, and I just think that that's huge because he's a guy who would have got first-team reps that he didn't necessarily get last year. Um, him missing it is, is pretty important to me. Obviously, there are the four freshmen. I look at Cam Babb as someone who all of a sudden it seemed like he was healthy, and then suddenly – this spring practice gets gets ripped away, and you know he has to wait even longer to get back on on the field. Um, someone like Jalen Harris, this was supposed to be his time to sort of break through. Um, Elijah Gardner as well, maybe would have had that opportunity, and and that's taken away. I just think beyond Chris Olave, I do think there are questions, and I do think that that this sort of hurts them maybe more so than anyone else, other than the the backup freshman quarterbacks, and and maybe I look at also Paris Johnson and his ability to start because to me it's just hard for for me to imagine someone going into preseason camp without spring practice and, and overtaking someone like Nicholas Petit Frere at, at starting right tackle. But I do think it's worth noting what what you said because like generally I had this feeling before spring practice um, got canceled is I just think a lot of people are expecting maybe a little bit too much in 2020 from some of these guys. And I'm not here to douse water on on them and, and say that there's no chance that they're all really good. But you're asking for a lot from guys who we haven't seen um, make, the, make the transition to being major contributors at, at the level that Ohio State expects and, and its wide receivers. And I think that that's that you're asking for a lot of big jumps for some guys who I think that we all agree are really talented, but oftentimes it goes beyond that. Yeah, it, it does. And, and, and to be and to be realistic, um, you know, for a guy, you mentioned a guy like Jalen Harris, who, yeah, certainly, you know, could use a spring to, you know, try to distinguish himself. But realistically, I, I kind of think this might help him because I think, yeah, you know, he's a guy true. who's been around for three years. And so... You know, suddenly, you know, where I, I think, you know, I mean, I mean, if I'm just being real here, I, I think he was somebody who was in real danger of, you know, a, a freshman coming in and beating him out. And if that happened for him, that, you know, you know, maybe that, you know, really kind of ends his chances of, of playing a lot at Ohio State. But now you look at it, okay, Chris Olave's at at Z. If if they follow through with moving Garrett Wilson to the slot, and and maybe they don't, you know, maybe maybe this yeah, makes mean, them change their plans. Yep. And they move Garrett Wilson back to X, but you know if they don't, now all of a sudden, okay, who, who's who's your X receiver? Well, it might be Jalen Harris because you're you're probably not starting a, a true freshman uh, at, at X, especially when you haven't gone through uh, a full complement of of spring practices. And you know, I I, I mean, I, I still think you know Julian Fleming's going to play this year. I still think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to play this year, but. I do think that if if you're taking away you know a good portion of their off season practices, 
I think it makes it more likely that Ohio State is going to have to go into the season slow playing it with those guys and, and ramp them up. And I think that opens the door more for guys like Jalen Harris, like Jalen Gill, to, 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 to finally get those roles that they've had to wait for. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's, that's, a, that's a very fair point. And Jalen Gill is the one guy who I was going to bring up and, and had forgotten. C.J. Saunders as well, if, yep. if, if he happens to be back and. He, he would he would be the veteran in the room. And hopefully we'll get an answer on C.J. Saunders soon. We're supposed to get one in April. I'm not sure if everything that's going on will affect that. But hopefully, hopefully we'll get an answer on C.J. Saunders soon. Speaking of guys who have dealt with some injuries, uh, one thing that, that Ryan Day did say that I thought was interesting is that uh, some of the injured players actually are still on campus rehabbing. Most of the guys were forced to move out of the dorms, but uh, students could, could put in waivers uh, to be able to stay in the residence halls. And, and, and Ryan Day said that some of those injured guys did, and including Master Teague, who, of, of course, as we know, uh, suffered an Achilles injury in March and is a guy that uh, you know has a chance to play a really big role this season if he's healthy. Uh, we don't know yet you know, what's going to happen there. Ryan Day did express some confidence, though, that you know, he thinks he could be ready for the season. I think he called him a, a genetic freak or something along those lines. And, you know, we saw it with Tough Borland. We saw it with Justin Hilliard. Uh, you know, we've seen guys recover from Achilles injuries in six months and at least be able to play. I don't know if he'll be full speed, but uh, there, there's at least a hope there. And, and, it, and it is good, you know, for his sake that he is at least able to stay on campus and be able to use their sports medicine facilities and be able to rehab there. Because that's certainly one of the questions that I had when all of this started was, you know, guys that are dealing with injuries, you know, if they were back home and they don't have access to, uh, you know, team doctors and athletic trainers and all that, you know, you know that could potentially set them back in terms of their recoveries. But it sounds like they're at least able to have some of those resources still at their disposal. Yeah, and it is worth noting that, you know, maybe you send someone back home and, and that person, like we're living in a world where coronavirus is, is filling hospitals. Like there are hypothetically guys who maybe are rehabbing in Columbus who if they got sent back home, um, they wouldn't really be able to rehab um, at, at a hospital or, or wherever they need to rehab um, in the way that they need to um, or, or get certain procedures or surgeries done. Um I, I, so yeah, that 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 is that is that is a benefit um, to to guys like Master. Maybe the two biggest pieces of news we learned last week. We've learned that Ryan Day uh, is is using the crock pot a lot at home. He's uh, been been making some chili, trying to master that. And we also learned that uh, he and his wife watched Tiger King on Netflix. Uh, I have not watched Tiger King yet. Have you, Colin? No, I. I th- I think I watched like the first two minutes of it, and then I had to go do something else. Um, I, yeah, I mean the first two minutes were pretty crazy, but uh, from what I gather, it's uh, quite a few episodes of absolute insanity, which you know Ryan Day sort of alluded to. It has been the talk of Twitter since this whole. Yeah, I feel like I'm very started, out so. on, on it, a lot of conversations. At some point, I'm gonna have to watch it. You know, after I watch the 500 movies that I'm supposed to watch, and and all of that, but. Um, Ryan Day, uh, just like us, uh, he is he's staying at home, uh, getting to spend some more time with his family, and uh, certainly still working from home, but a little more time for Ryan Day to maybe do some things that he typically wouldn't be doing uh, this time of year. And, and he is a family guy. He is a guy who 
you know, takes his role as a father very seriously. So definitely a good opportunity for him and uh, Ohio State's other coaches to spend a little more time uh, at home and, and doing some different things with their family that under normal circumstances they probably wouldn't be doing during the middle of spring practice right now. Yeah, he's just like us, except for that TV he was watching was probably 30 times better than whatever I was probably, watching yeah. Tiger he, King he on. Certainly, uh, he certainly makes a little bit more money than the average person does. Yeah, just uh, slightly. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah his, his home is probably uh, a little nicer than, than most of our homes as well. Uh, but, but he's earned that through his, his work last season. He earned himself... Uh, a nice big contract and you know cashed in at a good time with everything that's going on i would i would say he uh cashed in at a good time though as long as uh he continues to recruit and continues to perform on the field the way he did last season uh there won't be any buyer's remorse there uh another thing we, we want to talk about uh here before we get into some of your questions was uh the big news on monday that the ncaa has officially voted to allow an additional year of eligibility for spring sports athletes. Uh, that comes with you know the option for schools t- to decide whether they're going to provide financial aid for uh, those seniors who would be returning for an extra year of eligibility. But Ohio State has already committed to doing so. So uh, good to hear that you know for all those uh, senior spring sports athletes for Ohio State that if they decide to return, they are still going to be able to receive the same level of financial aid that they did uh, this year. Now, a lot of them still have decisions to make um, because it's worth you know noting for you know for those who aren't familiar with spring sports that uh, the vast majority of spring sports athletes and athletes who aren't you know in football or basketball, you know the major sports like that, most of them are on partial scholarships. So a lot of these athletes have to decide. Okay, do I want to pay for another year of school, especially if they're already on track to graduate, and especially, you know, some of them already have job offers, some of them already have uh, grad school opportunities. So uh, I think a lot of them are ultimately probably going to have to make the decision to move on, just because uh, it's time for them to move on to a new phase of their life, and uh, returning for another year of school isn't, you know, necessarily the best decision for them. But but certainly for those who are able to do that. Uh, it, it's great that they have that opportunity because uh, they did not get the senior year that they deserve to have in terms of uh, finishing out their seasons. Yeah, I think generally that's that's the that's the right decision and um, sort of the one that I think that that we both at least expected for for the um, the spring athletes. Um, I do think it's it, it it's tough decisions to make uh, sort of across the board, both for. Um, like you said, the, the student athletes who suddenly might have to consider paying for another year of school or, um, to, uh, we got a, we got a dog situation downstairs. I think, I think, I think a dog's going down, uh, down the road. Um, but, uh, um, lost my train of thought there. But, um, when I, I, I do think it's an interesting situation for a lot of, a lot of athletes who really could not have possibly imagined that, that this would happen. And it's a, it's it's interesting. I think um, we're not some we're we're not people who are exactly locked into what the baseball or women's lacrosse teams are looking like um, on a day to day basis. But I imagine a lot of those coaches are, you know, you you plan out your roster and years years ahead. Um, yet you also 
um, when, when this happens, you, you want to invite people back, but there are guys who maybe were expecting an opportunity next year or guys or girls who were expecting an opportunity next year who all of a sudden um, it's not it's maybe not there if someone comes back. And I do think that, that it's an interesting roster management exercise for, for coaches as well, and I, I do think that there are some tough conversations that would probably have to be had. Well, I think the bigger challenge really is going to happen in not next year, but the year after. Because for next year, uh, the, the returning seniors aren't going to count against the scholarship limits. So t- teams are still going to be able to bring in their full freshman class. All the freshmen they were going to bring in, they're going to be allowed. Ba- baseball is actually the only spring sport that has a hard cap on a roster. Other sports, uh, you, you're allowed to have you know a larger roster, but uh, certainly scholarship limits for every sport. Uh, you you have to meet those. So uh, for next uh, next year isn't necessarily going to be a problem year because the seniors aren't going to count. The, the the part that's going to be interesting is that this applies to all spring athletes. So the freshmen, the sophomores, the juniors, they get another year of eligibility too. So now I think you know you look at. Uh, I, I was talking to Greg Beals on a teleconference, uh, the baseball coach on a teleconference on Tuesday, and and he mentioned that you know, he has nine freshmen this year and then another 11 coming in so he's going to have 20 freshmen next year and and baseball has a 35 man roster cap so now you're looking at where in two years more than half of a roster could be in one class so that that's where things start to get complicated where it's at some point here uh you know and it's probably going to be in two years and three years you know, there's gonna have to be some tough conversations, like you said. There's gonna have to be, you know, some guys who move on, and 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 I think you know also it's probably you know important to recognize that you know just like some of the seniors aren't gonna come back, some of these other athletes aren't gonna take advantage of that extra year of eligibility either, because some of them, you know, same boat, they're gonna graduate in four years just because they're getting this additional year doesn't necessarily mean they're going to use it. So that will help with some of that. But there are, I think, certainly, uh, you look at you know two years down the line, I think especially you, you're going to look at some roster crunch where teams are either going to have to make a decision of, okay, we're either going to take a smaller freshman class so that we can get back to our number, or we're, we're going to have to you know talk to some people uh, about you know potentially moving on from the program just so we can get our numbers back. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, this is uh, winter sports will will not have this. Um, uh, the the seniors are so when when you're thinking about them, like you're thinking about an Andre Wesson in basketball, or, or you're thinking about some of uh, like a Luke Pletcher, Colin Moore in wrestling. Some of those guys who were seniors and didn't get a finish out their postseasons will will not be able to um, come back to Ohio State. Were you surprised by that? Were you unsurprised? And, and do you think that was a good decision or not? No, I, I wasn't surprised, and I do think that was the right decision. I, I think it's unfortunate for those seniors that they didn't get to have the end to their senior season that they deserved. You know, certainly you look at a guy like Colin Moore, who was a, a heavy favorite to win a national championship. It's, it's very unfortunate that you know he didn't get to have the end of that season. But you, you also have to look at it that, you know, not at, at Ohio State, they actually all still had competition in front of them. But at some other schools, you know, you have some basketball teams, you know, they had been eliminated from their postseason tournaments. Their seasons were over. To, 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 to give, 
you know, those athletes another year just doesn't really make sense. And to give some athletes another year and some not also doesn't make sense. So I just I just don't think there was a way to make that work. Again, going back to some of the roster management stuff, like we talked about, you know, you think of, you know, a, a basketball situation where they only have, you know, 13 scholarships, you know, there would be a ton of challenges there that, that just wouldn't, you know, necessarily work out if you gave them you know, all an additional year of eligibility. So I, I just don't think that it, it, it made sense that it, that it was going to work. And I think I actually saw a tweet. I think it was from Matt Norlander, who's a pretty uh, well-connected college basketball writer. And he said that for the majority of coaches he talked to were actually against uh, the seniors getting another year of eligibility. So I, I think it's just a reality of, you know, a situation that it sucks that it ended the way that it did. But I don't think that it made sense to give those guys a whole nother season, you know, just because they lost out on a postseason tournament. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it is terrible, and you wish that if there's a, if this thing could be corrected quickly, that there would be a way to somehow play a delayed NCAA tournament or whatnot in different sports. Um, obviously, that won't happen, and and there will be so many what ifs out of this. But um, I agree. I, I do think it was probably the right call. The other question of all this is, you know, the revenue part of it because schools have already lost a lot of money from the NCAA tournament being canceled and, you know, other events being canceled. And certainly, you know, that uncertainty of football season, if if football season does not go as scheduled, that would be an even bigger revenue hit for schools. So, uh, you know, that's why the there's the option here where, where – schools don't have to provide financial aid to you know those seniors who are returning and the reality is I, I, there's going to be a lot of schools that just aren't going to be able to afford to do that there's going to be a lot of schools that are already set to take such a big loss for the next year because of all this that they're just not going to be able to do that i i, I think ohio state is in a much better position than in almost every other division one school and that you know they're able to make that decision immediately and say we're going to do this. But even for Ohio State, Ohio State took a loss last year for the first time in a long time. And most likely for everything that's going on, they're probably going to take another one next year. So, you know, Ohio State, I do think, you know, even for Ohio State, I think there's going to be some, you know, decisions that have to be made here. And, I again, I don't know what they would be. You know, these are really questions for Gene Smith. But, you know, I do wonder – you know, over the next year or two here, if there's going to have to be certain budget cuts made in certain areas, and they might not even be ones that are necessarily all that visible to the public, but I do wonder what, you know, budget adjustments might have to be made over the next couple of years in order to, you know, make up for some of the losses that are taking place here. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I do think, um, I mean, I, I think a lot changes whether or not they play football season two. I mean, yeah. I think that's there's a lot riding on, on that decision. Absolutely. And again, we're right now, we're proceeding forward with the assumption that football season is going to happen. I, I, I would anticipate that Gene Smith is too if he's making that commitment uh, immediately to, to provide financial aid for spring sport athletes. But uh, there's definitely going to be a lot more conversations that happen here over the next few months. And again, a lot of those financial questions aren't going to be able to be answered until we have more clarity on how this is all going to play out. Want to get to some of your 
questions here. Uh, you know, running out of time here, but you know, did want to mention the the year in review uh, package that we've been doing for the site, uh, taking a look back at some of the best moments and best athletes and best plays of 2019-20. And if you know you haven't had a chance to check that out, you know, hopefully you will. Uh, go to LemonWarriors.com and check that out. And you know, uh, depending on how things go this off season, there may be a time where we uh, take a more of an in-depth look back into that but you know just you know want to get your perspective call and just you know best moment best play anything is, is there one or two things from this past year uh in sports that just stand out in your mind from from covering ohio state um i mean i think plenty to do I'll, I'll say this from i'll take this in a little bit of a different um way than than you posed it is when i sort of thought about it is just since basketball is fresh in my mind I just thought about it from a basketball perspective and, and maybe what were the best moments or um, best plays of the year. I think generally there weren't a ton of, of, of candidates for best plays of the year. I think you included the, the, the couple that are that are probably most apt, which is E.J. Liddell's uh, block. And he had quite a few, but, but he had um, well, at least one against Illinois that he sent to like the 97th row. And then D.J. Carton, one of his many dunks early in the season. Um but I would also say, um, like when I was thinking back to through, through the year, especially through the basketball season, like when I think about when people were most excited about about the basketball season, maybe I'm wrong on this, just because I see it from a different perspective. But I just think sort of the basketball season excitement in the team was at a peak when they beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and. When you look back on that, obviously that's not the same Tar Heels team as maybe it is in, in other years. But I can tell you from our perspective, like people were reading us <laughs> more so than they than 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 they normally do during basketball season. Um, people were really invested in the game as it went on. Um, they had uh, just beat Villanova a couple weeks prior. Um, obviously they started out the year with beating Cincinnati and there was a feeling after that game, I think of like, wow, like, wait, how good is this team? And when I think about sort of the year in review and, and sort of about the basketball team to me, like that was sort of the best, um, maybe the best, the, the, the best that the fan base felt, um, at, at any point in the year. And, and maybe, Maybe I have that wrong just because I'm thinking about it from a different perspective than, than as a fan, but at least from my perspective, from what I was seeing, that's sort of how I felt. Yeah, I, I do remember the North Carolina game in particular. I remember the, the reads on the site and the comments on that uh, story were abnormally high for a basketball game during football season. So I, I think you're right about that. You know, I, I thought, like, I, I, I did think, you know, I think there were a couple, couple later peaks in the season. I think the win over Maryland at home. And, and I think sweeping yes. Michigan as well. I think those were two uh, that, that definitely generated a lot of. And I think you know, I think the sad thing about it is, is that I think I think the excitement there, there, you know, there was a patch there in January and February where things were really rough, and, and excitement about the team was way down. And I think at the end of the year there, that excitement had come back, and, and people were kind of looking forward to see what this team was going to do in March. And unfortunately. Uh, we didn't we didn't get that opportunity to see what they could do, but I you know I think there was some excitement there. Um, you know I, I I think I think you're right in the fact, but I think you know some of those big wins earlier in the year. You know we were real. I mean I remember us having the conversation on this podcast about hey Final Four might be realistic for this team, and and I don't think we would have said that you know if we were going into the North NCAA tournament. I don't think we would have been predicting a Final Four, but uh, you know I do think they had some good moments 
interspersed throughout the year. You know, certainly uh, from my perspective, you know, focusing primarily on football, um, you know, certainly I, I, I ranked the number one moment of the year as the win over Michigan. Uh, that's usually hard to top. And I think certainly this year, with it being Ryan Day's first Michigan game, with the, the fashion in which they beat them and uh, by such a big margin in Ann Arbor, uh, I think that was definitely uh, probably the, the most memorable moment of the year, uh, at least you know from my perspective in terms of you know fan excitement and just such a big moment for the Buckeyes. And then uh, best play of the year, uh, I went with the moment in that game where, where Justin Fields, uh, came off the bench with his knee injury and threw a touchdown to Garrett Wilson on his first play in the game. That that was a one play that um, that's just one of those plays I don't see myself forgetting for a long time because it was just the the, the swing of emotions in that moment from sitting there wondering if Ohio State's championship hopes had just come to an end to him coming back in the game and making one of the best plays in the entire season. That was just such a a roller coaster of emotions for Ohio State fans there in, in a few minutes that I think that's one that we'll remember for a long time when we're talking about the rivalry. Yeah, I, I think that'll be it'll be fascinating to see next season in the fall if he can top that and, and how he could possibly top that because it it really is hard to, to get any bigger than that um, when you do think like that was the last regular season game and, and we were all having the conversations about wow is this the best team in the country is this the team is this the team that's going to win the national championship and then that happens and in just a, an instant you're like wow is Chris Chuganov going to even be able like what's he going to what are they going to be able to do with him because anytime you see a quarterback like Justin Fields go down with a knee injury. You just don't know. And, man, when he came back there, like, it was magical. It was a magical moment. I do think Ryan Day was apt when he, when he said that. And given the news on Monday, you know, certainly uh, in terms of best athletes, you know, just want to give a shout-out uh, to some of those seniors like Luke Pletcher and Colin Moore from the wrestling team. Jincy Dunn, who became the women's hockey team's first two-time first-team All-American. Certainly Andre Wesson, someone who had a – a very good career and somebody who improved a lot over the course of his Ohio State career. Uh, you know, those athletes, we didn't have the opportunity to uh, necessarily properly celebrate their careers and, and for them to have the moments that they should have had to, to cap off their careers. But uh, certainly, you know, all of them, you know, worthy of recognition for what they did. You know, thinking back on best moments, you know, I think of, you know, the women's hockey team and winning their first conference title and you know who knows what they would have done in the NCAA tournament because that was taken away from them but you know a huge accomplishment for them a huge accomplishment for Colin Moore to go 27 and 0 and finish second in Hodge trophy voting so even though we didn't get to see you know those athletes finish out the season uh, certainly a lot worth celebrating uh, from their perspective and that hopefully you know they're feeling proud of while I'm sure that they're dealing with the disappointment of uh, not being able to finish out those seasons. Yeah, Colin Moore and Luke Pletcher are two wrestlers who it's just like I felt like they were at Ohio State for 12 years. <laughs> and that's a, and that's another program that we've just seen, uh, you know, great after great in the past few years, from Logan Steber to Kyle Snyder to Miles Martin. Uh, yeah. There's been a lot of great wrestlers that have come through Tom Ryan's program in the last few years, and certainly Colin Moore and Luke Pletcher uh, are both going to be right in that same category of those guys. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. 
Um, is it time to take some questions? I know we yeah, got a few. I think we might. I think we better. I think we're going to run out of time if we don't uh, get to some questions now. And, and we did get quite a few questions this week, so we do appreciate uh, all of you jumping in here, um, giving us some more stuff to talk about, and uh, we'll we'll try to run through these fairly quick, but uh, give you all some answers as well. Our first question of the week comes from Samaic. It's, with the current state of athletics across the country, what schools slash types of programs do you think stand to gain the most? Teams with older roster of the Blue Bloods, or do you think this is an advantage to some of the schools that fly below the radar due to the lack of practice? Well, I, I think there's two, two sides of this. I, I, I do think, certainly, I think teams with more experience, and especially at key positions, you know, like quarterback, like offensive line, which, you know, those are areas where uh, Ohio State uh, stands to benefit. I, I do think those teams are going to benefit from this. I think I think teams that are uh, relying on more younger and experienced players are, are going to be hurt more because uh, obviously you know teams that have have played game play have more guys that have played games that are veterans. Uh, you know they're, they're going to be able to withstand the loss of practices more than teams that really needed every practice they could get. Uh, to, to develop those guys. So I think everyone's going to be affected. I, I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, one team is going to benefit way more than another team is going to be be hurt by this. But I do think, you know, teams of older older rosters are going to benefit. And I think teams of better coaches are going to benefit, <laughs> truly, because I think, you know, the, the, the coaches who are able to adapt to this and are able to plan through this the best uh, are, are going to be in the best Situations. I, I I would say though that I I do I, I do think if you go into the season with with less practices, uh, and and you know teams maybe aren't as sharp as they would be going into the year. I, I do think that opens the door, especially some of those non-conference games in September. That that maybe we see a few more uh, crazy upsets than we'd expect. That maybe you know you see uh, a few more teams you know slip up early just because they haven't had. The, this, the level of preparation that they typically would. Yeah, I think that the two things that, that come to mind when I think about programs that are affected most by by this situation are um, teams with, with first-year quarterbacks, especially quarterbacks who really are are younger. Um, I think that that's, that's tough. And then the other thing I'd say is if, if a team is putting in a, a new scheme on either side of the ball or they – hired a new coach who, who's supposed to implement his scheme. I just think that you're in a little bit of a tough spot right now if, if you're them. I, I think that I think that, that would that would make things a little bit more difficult. Ohio State um, is not in that, even though Kerry Combs is the defensive coordinator, because at least from what we know, from what they've said, is generally the scheme of la- from last year is not going to change a ton. Sure, there will be differences. I think there will be fairly noticeable differences. Um but, but I think the, the the general basics of the of the scheme aren't aren't going to be crazy different. Also, Kerry Combs has been around before. It's not like he has to go through and make his presence known and, and make sure that people respect him. I think there are a lot of veterans on the team that that know who he is, know what he's about. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I I don't envy someone like Jeff Halfley right now, who's a no, first no, year head coach. Tough with a brand new coaching staff there and having to deal with this. This is uh, an extremely tough challenge uh, for somebody who's stepping into a situation like that. Yeah, that, that's tough. Um, next question is from Seattle Linga. 
What is your reaction when Michigan landed that huge fish and the 1,146th rated recruit? So he's referring to uh, Dominic Gadice, I believe his name is, who's a a freestar defensive end from New Jersey and uh, is lower ranked. Uh, Certainly a guy, if you look at his page, uh, doesn't have really any of her offers from Power 5 schools. So uh, a little bit surprising to see Michigan going after uh, someone with that ranking in in March. Uh, I'm going to start by saying this. Uh, the last thing I ever want to do is throw stones at a high school kid uh, and, and criticize a, a high school kid uh, level of talent, especially someone who uh, I've never watched him play and I, I don't know much about him. So uh, I definitely don't want to do that. Uh, you know, Dominic Gadice, he could he could end up being a great player. You see a lot of great players uh, you know, who were two-star recruits who end up going on to play in the NFL. So uh, certainly don't want to do that. Uh, I, I think what you can say, though, is just if you look at Michigan's recruiting over the last couple years, uh, it seems like they've been taking more and more guys like that who are not highly ranked guys, are not necessarily getting uh, offers from the, the quote-unquote blue blood schools. And you know, I, I think with everything we talked about earlier of Ohio State, the reality is that Michigan just really isn't much competition for Ohio State on the recruiting trail right now. Sure, you know, there's some some guys that both schools are recruiting, but by and large, the guys that Michigan is going after are not guys that Ohio State is going after, and Ohio and for the most part, when these two schools are going head to head. It's Ohio State who's who's winning out. Yeah, I think that that's generally um, my point. I, I I certainly like you said. I'm not going to come on here and crush that kid. I've never watched his highlight tape. He had 24 sacks. That's 24 more sacks than I had in high school. <laughs> so, you know, he's doing something right. He's going to go and get an education at, at Michigan and play football there. Like you've got to be at least pretty good to do that. I think the the bigger point, like you said, is. It's just another sort of indictment on, on where Michigan is as a program, um, especially in, in the recruiting trail. Because you think, like, what, like why now for, for, for adding him? Why did, they, why did they extend a scholarship right now and accept his, his um, commitment right now? Because when you think about a, a, a lower three-star prospect, if you're in Michigan, if you're in Ohio State, hypothetically, you can – Offer him later and get him later. Now, I do think there are certain circumstances that it makes sense to to extend an offer um, like that early. And and I think the Trey Larue offer is you can you, and, and getting him and for for Ohio State in the 20, um, 2020 class is if you want to have that conversation about why they did that and why they should have. I think you can have that conversation because he's in the thousands um, and he didn't have a, a huge offer list, but. The, the reason they did that is there's a strategy. He's a It's Ryan Day's first year. He wants to hit Ohio hard um, on the recruiting trail. And Trey LaRue is a guy who maybe later in the cycle um, blows up a little bit and, and gets some bigger offers. And, and you want to make it known that you're in on him early. And he's a guy from Ohio who hypothetically will be around for four or five years. Um, and you don't have to worry about him transferring or something like that. But when you're thinking about Michigan and, like, why did they add this guy right now, I'm just not sure what the strategy is there. And I think that that's sort of one of the things 
that's most difficult for me to understand about Michigan is like I'm not ever sure what their strategy in recruiting is. I'm just not. They don't really lock down Michigan in, in a great way. And beyond that, they don't really seem to have a coherent strategy. Whereas when we talk about Ohio State's recruiting strategy, it's pretty obvious to us. Well, and I, I know, you know, one thing that I think uh, some of our colleagues have noticed, uh, you know, especially in, you know, recent months and years is, you know, a lot of times, you know, Ohio State offers somebody and then Michigan jumps in. And it's, Michigan can't be playing catch up with guys that Ohio State is recruiting. They're just not in a position to be doing that right now. They, Michigan, if Michigan wants to get you know, the guys that Ohio State is getting, they've got to be getting in early. They they are not an Ohio State or an Alabama or a Clemson right now where, where they can potentially jump in late and swing a guy's recruitment. They've got to build those relationships early. And and maybe part of it is is, is getting to a, a, a point of, you know, they feel like they can't wait on these guys anymore. You know, maybe, you know, because of some of the struggles that they've had, they, they feel like, okay, you know, we like this guy. We, we, we got to jump in there. But you're right. It, it, it's, it's a little bit, you know, surprising. Um, you know, I mean, looking at uh, Gadice's offers, he didn't even have an offer from Rutgers yet, which is his home state school. So you wouldn't think Michigan would need to jump at someone like that in March. But they also uh, only had three commits for the class at this time, where Ohio State has 15. So, you know, they are in a position where they need to start getting some commits. They are playing catch-up. And uh, the, the gap right now just continues to widen between where Ohio State is at and where Michigan is at. And it, I, I just don't, I don't see that gap closing anytime soon, is what I would say. No, yeah, and to me, it's really an indictment on, on where Jim Harbaugh is, and I just don't believe that Jim Harbaugh is going to be the guy to ever close that gap. And, you know, I that's where I'm at right now. I And I honestly, I'm not sure what he could do to really change my mind. Moving on to our next question from John Lore8287. No idea if I'm pronouncing that correct. Uh, he has a couple questions, but first one is, and we kind of talked about this before, so we probably can't really say a whole lot. But what is the probability that the start of football season, first game, is delayed given the national stay-at-home order is now extended through all of April? I realize that fall camp doesn't start until August, but it seems like the coronavirus still hasn't peaked. Again, I, I, I don't feel, I really don't feel even comfortable speculating, putting a number on it because there's just so much uncertainty at this point. I mean, I. I I certainly think the possibility of a delay is out there, and I am I, not going to put my head in the sand and say that it's not. But uh, I, I, I think, you know, put, trying to put a number on it is dangerous. And, you know, I mean, not that I think it's necessarily to happen with this podcast, but you see some of the other comments that people make out there, uh, predictions, and then it becomes national headlines because everybody's so hungry for information. So, uh, it's possibility, but I'm not going to put a. I, I just can't put a number on it. Yeah, I agree with that. I do think that what he says is true, though. That coronavirus hasn't peaked, and you know, until until it does, and until uh, we're all on the on the opposite side of the curve, I just think that it's going to be a little bit difficult to, to have any type of idea. Absolutely, and I think the reality is we are we are at least at this point a couple months away from things 
you know, starting to get back to normal. So uh, I think the reality is we're probably not going to have an answer on that until at least June, I would say. I think I think we're probably in for at least a couple more months of uncertainty. Uh, and it, I, I would think probably around June would be my guess is when it's going to start to become more clear in terms of, okay, is there going to be a football season or is football season going to start on time? That, that, would be, that would be my feeling, but I also know how rapidly this thing can change. So I think it's just something we're going to have to reevaluate as we go here. So his next question is gut feeling, Caleb Wesson, stay or go? Um, and Caleb Wesson's father, Keith, uh, talked to the dispatch on Tuesday and and said that he's gonna Caleb's gonna give the NBA a, a go again, um, just like he did last year. And at the moment, um, isn't signing with an agent at the moment, which means that he retains his eligibility uh, to to come back for his senior year if if he would like to do so. Now the um, the I mean. I'll just say this from 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 every indication I've gotten talking to people with inside the in, inside the program is that you know dating back to last offseason, it seemed likely that Caleb Weston would would go to the NBA, and all the most recent indications are are, are that exact same thing is that he'll he'll end up staying in the draft. Now, if you want to give yourself any hope that Caleb Weston returns, it can simply be based on the fact that you know people. Um, aren't sure what how 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 coronavirus is going to impact the the nba draft um and specifically pre-draft workouts or the nba draft combine and those are i think areas that caleb wesson would are, are really important to him because he's not a guy who's going to go in the first round um if i'm projecting him i'm, I'm th- looking at either um I, I think he could go as high as um in, in the first half of the second round or i think he could go undrafted um and for someone like him, those pre-draft workouts are those are a big deal. Um, he went through them last year, and I think going through them a second a, a second time this year um, would be greatly beneficial. That said, I don't even know if there are going to be pre-draft workouts this year. And if there's so much uncertainty about all this process and where he stands, and and does that lend any possibility to him coming back next year? At the moment, I still think, even given that, I think they'll stay in the draft. But I'm, I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty. I just say that with a high degree of certainty. Yeah, I, I defer to you for the most part on on basketball because you 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 follow it much more closely and you talk to a lot more people around the basketball program than I do. So, um, you know, my my gut feeling is that he will stay in the NBA draft and he will not return to Ohio State. I, truly, that's been my feeling since before the season started, that this would be his last year at, at Ohio State and that he would go to the NBA. I, I do think it, it's possible that because of all the uncertainty with all this, that you know maybe that changes his decision. And I, and I think guys should be taking that into consideration. I think if you you know, I'm not talking about an Obi Toppin or a Cole Anthony or Anthony Edwards here. Those guys should go, 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 go make money. But, you know, guys who are in that, you know, second round range, like a Caleb Wesson, I, I do think you need to consider, you know, how much could the potential cancellation of pre-draft workouts hurt me? But at the same time, you know, do I necessarily think that coming back to Ohio State for another year is going to, you know, significantly improve his draft stock not necessarily so i i think most likely he will be gone but 
uh, I, I do think there's so much uncertainty of everything right now that if you're a college basketball player, considering that decision, you know that has to be a part of your decision process. Yeah, and if you look at what Ohio State's doing too, um, at least in the transfer market right now, they're if if you account for Caleb Wesson, then they're full and they're full on 13 scholarships. But they're really active in the transfer market looking for um, guards who would have to sit out in that season before playing two seasons. Um, and right now, from, from everything I know, is I'm not looking for, an, uh, for there to be another guy on the team who's going who's gonna to transfer, um, at least right now as we sit here today. But um, if they're looking that hard on the transfer market and they're, they're talking to guys, I know Trey Wirtz is a guy who I talked to on Tuesday, and that story will be up on 11 Warriors on Wednesday. Like Guys like him, you're, you're only going to recruit them if you have an opening. Um, and it, it's only logical that that opening is, is, is the spot that Caleb Wesson currently occupies. I think they would certainly take Caleb Wesson back if he wanted to come oh, back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... I mean, that's a potential, to, to be honest, like, that's a top 10 team that should win the Big Ten if Caleb Wesson's back. But, yeah, I just don't, I, I don't see that as we sit here today. Right, that's what I was going to say. I think, I think they would certainly love to have Caleb Wesson back, but I don't think they are holding out a ton of hope for it because I just don't think that's what they expect to happen. Dan, you asked this next question. Well, the reason he's asking <laughs> me is because this was asked by a user with the name Turd Bucket. And he asked us, are any offensive linemen leaving early after the 2020 season? Well, if you're asking us to predict, certainly I've, certainly the two guys were, I think, going to have decisions to make are Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I, don't, you know, I don't have any inside info on, on where their heads might be right now. I doubt that they, either of them even knows at this point what they would do. But I certainly think those are guys... You know, I think Wyatt Davis especially is a guy who, who, if he has the kind of year he's capable of next year, he's probably a first-round draft pick in 2021. And I think Josh Myers has that kind of potential uh, to be in that early-round mix as well. Uh, so I think both of those guys are definitely going to have decisions to make. Um, you know, I, I would I, I, I would say that if, if I'm Greg Stadrawa and I'm Ohio State, I would be prepared for them to potentially leave after next season because... Uh, they will have been at Ohio State for four years, and uh, they certainly uh, will be capable of going to be selected in the NFL draft. But uh, yeah, I'm sure they'd love to have him back for two more years. Yeah, I think um, it's it, it'll be it'll be fascinating. Um, I think Wyatt Davis to me, I would if you ask me to just predict right now with no inside information and no idea of how they'll play this fall. Like I would predict that Wyatt Davis goes to the NFL after this year, and I would predict that Josh Myers stays around for his uh, fifth fifth season at Ohio State and third season as a starter. But I mean, so so much can change. Yeah, them. I think that would that that would be my gut predictions as well. But that's truly just truly just a guess. Silver Sniper asked us about given twenty twenty hindsight, break down a hypothetical matchup between LSU and. Ohio State in last year's national championship game. Where would Ohio State excel where Clemson faltered? What's the final score of that game? Dan, I'm going to need to rely so incredibly heavily on you because that, at this point, feels like it took place seven years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm kind of in the same boat there. Um, it was a long time ago. You know, I, I, I would say this. I mean, I, I, I 
made the prediction on this podcast that I thought whoever won Ohio State Clemson would win that game. Uh, I stood by that prediction even after Clemson won. I don't stand by that prediction anymore after seeing what LSU did to Clemson in the National Championship game. I still think LSU would have won. I I think I think it would have been a little closer. I think I think it would have been a little closer. I think Ohio State's defense would have done a little better than Clemson's defense did in that game. Um, I, I that is also with the hypothetical of Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins both being healthy because we we know that Justin Fields' knee was not 100%, and we also learned that J.K. Dobbins had a high ankle sprain. So it, with both of those guys being banged up, I honestly don't think Ohio State really would have had much chance. I, I think if Ohio State uh, fully healthy, I think they would have had a chance. But you know, realistically, after seeing what LSU did uh, in that postseason run, I think it was their year. I think Joe Burrow on that offense was just so explosive that I think even Ohio State's defense would have had a really hard time slowing them down. Yeah, I mean, I generally agree with that. Like I said, it feels like that game took place forever ago, but I do remember after seeing the national championship thing, uh, thinking, the, thinking the same thing, and you're right. The health just plays a massive role in this too. Speaking of stuff that happened a long time ago, Silver Sniper also asked us, if you could jump in a time machine and go anywhere in time, past or future, where would you go? This is a question I wish I had seen before right now because <laughs> I can't say that I've given that any thought. Colin, is there anything that jumps to mind for you? I think, so I'm going to need a caveat here. I'm going to need to be able to come back because I would like to um, not like to stay in wherever this year is because who knows? There's a chance I get stuck in the um, whatever this would be called because I don't know that this ever happens. But I think it'd be fun uh, to go t- travel into the future for whenever the next time the Browns won the Super Bowl and experience that day. But I also know that that might not ever happen. So if that's my wish, then I'm not sure I can lock that one in because then I might just get stuck like in the end between. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I'd be fascinated to hear like what the world's like in 2100 when you come back if we're yeah. if we're banking on the Browns winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, I I, I don't I, I would say this this is just an off the cuff answer because I just when I think of things that I uh, would like to have had the opportunity to do that I didn't have because uh, I was not alive. Uh, I would say that I would I would like to go back in time and I'd like to see Led Zeppelin perform uh, their peak. Led Zeppelin's my favorite band of all time, and uh, obviously uh, I am I am too young as a 27 year old to have been able to experience Led Zeppelin in their prime. So if I could go back, I'd go see a concert of Led Zeppelin in their in their prime, and then ideally, like Colin said, uh, be able to come back. Uh, that is well, really actually, I would say this: I'll come. I would like to come back a year or two from now when this whole coronavirus outbreak is over. I, I, I did I'd be, whoa, 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 a year or two. Come yeah, on, be a little I mean, more optimistic here. Whenever it's over, I, I, I'd be good with coming back and skipping all over this. But uh, if I could go back, uh, I'll go see Led Zeppelin perform. It's reasonable. So we're going to end this podcast on just a just a real <laughs> downer of a question here from Daniel. Which is, if football gets canceled this fall, will we ever see Justin Fields in an Ohio State uniform again? I even hate to think about this. First of all, let me say, I am not Daniel. Uh, this, was a, this was another Daniel who asked this question. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's a downer of a question for sure. I mean, I'll I'll be honest with you. Uh, my answer to that is no. Uh, if 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 we're assuming uh, here in a world where the 2021 NFL draft takes place as scheduled, if there's no college football season this year, uh, I don't think we'll see Justin Fields play another game in Ohio State uniform because I think he would still go to the NFL. And I think the same for uh, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson and uh, all the other guys who are projected as top picks right now. Yeah, he he would be gone gone. And also a world in which we have no college football means there's still a lot going on with coronavirus. So um, there would be there, there would be a lot bigger problems. That said, man, that would really suck for for Ohio State fans who who have banked on on two years of Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to even imagine. Yeah, what a 2021 NFL draft would be like where. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, truthfully, I think if, there, if there's no football season, uh, that would probably have to be altered in itself because I don't know that you yeah, could do like a, two rounds or something. I don't think you could do a seven round draft uh, of, but you know, there'd probably be there'd be a lot more players returning, and and you wouldn't be able to really evaluate guys. So uh, again, let's really, really hope it doesn't come to that. But uh, yeah, I would say uh, if I'm being realistic here. Uh, I don't think Justin Fields would would play another game in an Ohio State uniform if football got canceled this fall. All right, happy times on <laughs> on Real Pod Wednesdays here. Yeah, yeah, ha- ha- happy times. That, that if you 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 can you can make that our April Fool's joke if you want. Um, if you don't want to be- if you don't want to even uh, think about that possibility, you can uh, make that our April Fool's joke. But uh, uh, Colin's got to get to celebrating his birthday here. We've we, we've taken enough time here and uh, we've taken up enough of your time uh but we hope you enjoyed uh hearing us talk about ohio state sports and uh we'll see what happens next week and uh hopefully we'll have something interesting to talk to you about uh one way or another we'll come up with something so uh thanks again for listening everyone and uh enjoy april